0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Scripture Chronicles podcast. This is the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. I'm Dylan, and joining me today is Corey Howitt. Corey, how are you doing? Doing great. Super stoked to get through Genesis. Awesome. So, guys, today we are going to be going through Six total chapters, hopefully, fingers crossed. And so in order to do that, we're going to get started right away. Real quick, normal disclaimer, if you have not yet listened to the episodes prior to this one, they all do build on one another. I would recommend going back, listening to those, then listening to this one. If you don't have time to do that, we are going to give you our brief recap of what we went over last week. This week, we're going over Genesis chapters 42 through 47. So our recap then is going to cover Genesis 37 through 41, and then we'll get into today's episode. So, Corey, what did we chat about last week?
1: Last week, uh, I think right now we're calling it the Little Dreamer Boy, as far as the title of the episode. Um, But it goes over Joseph's dreams, right? So uh, chapter 37 Joseph has a bunch of dreams that concern his brothers and his parents um, bowing down to him. And his brothers are really upset with him and jealous of him. Um, But his father, although rebukes him, takes all these things to heart. Um, And then the rest of the book is pretty much all about Joseph. But in chapter 38, we have a small um, interruption with Judah. And we learned this, um, really gnarly story of, um, Judah has some evil sons and they both die while married to Tamar. So he thinks it's Tamar and he ends up getting tricked by Tamar to sleep with her and produces offspring through his daughter-in-law. Um, and through all that, um, he, realizes that he was wrong for what he did to Tamar, um, both in that act and what he had done and not giving her his youngest son after his first two sons died. Um, And so we have this weird interruption of Judah, but yet we see Judah in the end um, showing a bright spot amidst a really, really dark story. And then chapters 39 through 41, Joseph is in Egypt, And he's having more dreams. He has um, dreams of um, the cupbearer and the baker while he's in prison with them. And the cupbearer is restored to his place. The baker is killed by Pharaoh just as Joseph had dreamed. And so um, the cupbearer is out of prison. And Joseph said, hey, remember me when you're out. But he doesn't until two years go by. And Pharaoh has some troubling dreams. And is going around uh, going around to all the nations saying, who can interpret these dreams for me? And just then the cupbearer remembers Joseph and says, oh, this guy can interpret dreams. And Joseph does not claim that he can interpret dreams, but he claims that his God can interpret dreams. And so um, we see Joseph give all glory to God. And so he hears the dreams from Pharaoh and he tells him that these dreams about seven plump and ugly cows and seven um, healthy ears of grain and seven um, ugly ears of grain are one dream, meaning um, there's going to be a lot of great uh, harvesting for the next seven years, followed by seven years of really gnarly famine. And that's actually where this story leaves off. So Joseph is going to be in charge of all of the land of Egypt. And we're going to see all these people come to him because they're the only people who knew of the famine coming. Right. And so, um, one thing, however, that we missed last time, um, you guys may or may not have noticed, but at the end of chapter 41, Joseph has two sons born to him in Egypt and he names the first one, Ephraim, um, saying that God has made me fruitful. And he names his second son Manasseh, saying, God has made me forget all my hardships. All right. So in that, we have some more name plays, as we've seen a lot, as people are given names or have their names changed. Um, so this is all um, just a land play. So Manasseh, it sounds like making to forget. Um, and Ephraim, um, again, It's not the exact meaning, but it sounds like the Hebrew word for making fruitful. And so um, we're going to hear more about those brothers next time when we get into the blessings of Jacob. Uh, But now we're going to go ahead and get right into Genesis 42.
0: All right, guys. So like I said, we're going to go ahead and give bullet points, big key ideas in these chapters moving forward. And again, just to reiterate, the reason that we are doing it this way is because ultimately the goal of this podcast is to get you to see the overall unified narrative of the scriptures. As such, instead of focusing on each verse in particular, we're going to go and give macroscopic elements or themes of the story to connect the story in your mind. So now we're going to jump into chapter 42 and we're gonna go ahead and go through that. So again, remembering from last week, we see that Joseph, that's the guy we're talking about here. Joseph was sold into slavery. So we talk about how he got sold. He goes into Potiphar's household. Uh, he actually has to run away from Potiphar's household because uh, the Potiphar's wife wants to uh, have sex with him and then accuses him of actually uh, molesting her. He gets thrown into jail. God blesses him in jail. From there, he actually gets remembered eventually by the chief cupbearer who brings him to Pharaoh. And now Joseph is in a position where he's actually helping out all of Egypt because of the fact that Egypt is going to see famine. So there's gonna be seven good years where there's gonna be a lot of grain produced. And then there's gonna be seven years of famine. Because of this, Joseph comes up with the fantastic idea of actually gathering all of the grain for the seven years of plenty and then storing up a bunch of grain for the seven years of famine. So now in chapter 42, those seven years of famine have hit, and we see that all of the nations are actually coming to Egypt in order to purchase grain. And so we did make a little brief mention about that and how it's significant in last week's episode. Now, in chapter 42, we're seeing Joseph's brothers actually coming to Egypt, Egypt in order to purchase grain because Jacob sends them. And so they come having no idea that Joseph is actually the head dude. And so when they come, they ask to purchase some grain. And so right off the bat, Joseph, instead of revealing himself to them, accuses them of being spies and they don't recognize Joseph at this point. So he says, you're spies. Tell me about who you are and where you've come from. And so they end up telling him about their youngest brother, Benjamin, and they tell him about their father, Jacob. And so that is actually Joseph's way of figuring out about his family. And so after having accused him of being spies, he says, the only way that I'm going to believe that you're not spies is if you bring Benjamin here. I want to see the youngest brother brought here. And so they go off and... and, in protest basically because they know that Jacob is not going to want to send Benjamin. So eventually Joseph actually ends up selling them grain and says, here, take this grain back. However, in order for me to know that you're not spies, one of you has to stay behind because I still wanna see you bring your youngest brother. And so one of them ends up staying behind Cimarron and they go back and
1: they bring the grain to Jacob. Yeah, um, so we're in Egypt here, and this is a really common hyperlink so far in Genesis. This actually happened to Jacob's father and grandfather. So the hyperlinks come up. Um, Genesis 12, we talked about this a couple of times now. Um, But Abram goes down to Egypt because of a famine. And in that time that he's down in Egypt, we see uh, Yahweh bringing on plagues to Egypt and to Pharaoh's house. Um, for Abram's sake, because uh, Pharaoh took Abram's wife, because Abram told him, she's my sister. Um, and so that's going to be another hyperlink in the next book. Um, and then also in chapter 26, uh, chapter 26 starts with, now there was a famine in the land in the same way uh, that uh, this section had started. And so As the famine appears, Yahweh appears to Isaac and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. And so we've we've seen a few times that although Isaac was clearly not the guy who is going to reverse the curse, the guy who is going to fulfill the blessing, he passes the blessing on. Um, So while he's not the guy, he does provide blueprints to what his descendants should do. Um, For example, um, a couple weeks ago, we really nailed it in that uh, he should not return to Haran as Jacob did. So Jacob returned to Haran, ended up working there for 20 years. Um, But it was important that Isaac was to remain in the land, right? Um, When we've seen someone with a barren wife, which all these guys had a barren wife, Isaac prayed for his wife and God opened up her womb. Unlike Abram and Jacob who took things into their own hands. um, We've also seen that it is important not to marry people of the land. So the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, which is what Esau did. And actually Abram even did that after his wife had passed away. And now we should expect the main guy to trust in Yahweh during a famine, unlike what Abram did back in chapter 12. And now we're thinking, is it really right for Jacob to send his children down to Egypt? Should he have prayed first? Right, so that, that's just something to keep in the back of our minds as the fact of why are they even going to Egypt? Is this a good thing based on the hyperlinks we've seen so far through the book of Genesis?
0: Yeah, and so in asking that then, we get the brothers going down to Egypt irregardless of whether or not it's good. And we're going to have to keep that question in the back of our mind because it is going to come up here in a minute. And so as soon as they get back to their father with the grain, they tell them that Benjamin needs to come back in order for them to free Simeon. And oddly enough, Jacob is bereaved because of the fact that he's requested Benjamin to go down with him. And so he, that is Jacob, loves Benjamin specifically because Benjamin and Joseph were the two sons that he had from the wife that he really loved who passed away. And so because he believes Joseph has passed away at this point, Benjamin is all he has left. And so he's really holding on to Benjamin. And so they actually stay and eat all of the food that had been given to them before finally realizing that they need more food and they should probably go back for Simeon and get some more food. And so finally, we get to chapter 43 and Jacob says, "Okay, let's go ahead and return. We're out of food now, but I don't want Benjamin to go. And so we have this interesting exchange between Reuben and Jacob where Reuben actually says, let me take full charge of Benjamin. And if I fail to return Benjamin, then my sons will pay the the price for that. And oddly enough, this offer is rejected. And so even at this point, Jacob says, no, that's not good enough. And he still is unwilling to allow Benjamin to go and accompany the Uh, the the brothers back down to Egypt. So finally, Judah actually comes up and says, let me take charge of Benjamin and let me be personally responsible for him. And this time that offer is actually accepted. And so now we have Jacob agreeing to allow Benjamin to go down to the land, uh, to Egypt that is, with the brothers. After Judah pledges his safety, Jacob decides that if you must go, and if Benjamin must go, take a present as well. And so what I don't know if I mentioned earlier is on their way back from Egypt the first time, they found all of their silver tucked back into their bags because Joseph had actually instructed the servants to place the silver back in the brother's bags uh, that they'd used to pay for all the, the food. So they actually take a double portion of silver, believing that it had been an error that they received their silver back. And they received presents in order to bring favor upon their journey uh, before Joseph, a classic Jacob move, as Corey pointed out to me uh, pre-podcast.
1: Yeah, so as they're coming back with Benjamin, Joseph sees them from afar. And so he goes ahead and calls out his stewards saying, all right, go uh, slaughter an animal for lunch. And bring in all these men and have them have lunch with me, right? And so um, Joseph isn't there for the actual exchange. Joseph goes somewhere else. And so the steward just tells him, all right, come into the house after they take all their money and stuff. And so the brothers start freaking out. They're thinking like, oh, no, like this is all because of the silver that they think that we stole, and so the brothers come up to the steward and say, no, this is all a misunderstanding. Like, please, we didn't mean to steal it. We, we brought the money. We even brought double the money. We even brought you some presents. And so out of all that, the steward replies in verse 23 of chapter 43, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brings Simeon out to them. So really encouraging. So you're either thinking that Joseph is spreading the news of his God to all the people and God's being shown powerful, you know, or maybe that's just something Joseph told him to say. But anyways, this is a comfort to the brothers. right? And so then after this, as the brothers are calmed down by the steward, Joseph comes in and Joseph starts asking them about the father. He says, is your father doing well? Um, and is this your youngest brother? And as he sees uh, Benjamin and inquires about him, he says, like well, he doesn't say he just leaves because he can't take it anymore. he It says his compassion grew warm for his brothers, and so he went out and found a place to weep. So is this this really cool kind of touching moment of Joseph over his brothers specifically? his younger brother, Benjamin. Uh, But he ends up collecting himself, collecting all of his emotions, his compassion. And he says, all right, time to serve the food. And uh, the brothers of Joseph, so from Reuben down to Benjamin, they order themselves according to their birthright. And so as they're being served, everyone gets a normal amount of food except for Benjamin. Benjamin receives a portion five times greater than that of any of his brothers. Um, which is kind of interesting. So one, we're continuing to see this uh, theme of the younger receiving blessings over the older, right? And so as that's being continued, we have something new being started here. Um, as the servants of the Egyptians are serving these Hebrews, it says that um, the Egyptians would not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay, so we're we're starting to see what uh, the Hebrew relations are to the Egyptians. And we have this idea that it's not good besides um, the relationship with Joseph in all of the land of Egypt. Right, so that's just something to keep in mind. Right, so this hostility between Egyptians and Hebrews, we're going to see that again, and we'll talk about that uh, relationship a little bit more when we get there. All right, Dylan, should we go in the forty-four? Yeah, let's do it. So jumping into forty-four now,
0: we have the brothers having eaten with Joseph once again, purchase grain uh, in order to bring back to their father, and now Joseph no longer is accusing them of being spies in the same way that he was he sells them the, the grain but once again orders their money be placed back inside their sacks and as an added side note also his silver cup he orders that to be placed in benjamin's sack and so the brothers then get the grain that they need they grab their sacks and they get ready to go and then shortly after they leave joseph says to the steward hey go after these guys, they have my cup. And of course the steward knew what was going on the whole time considering the steward was the one who put the cup in the sack. But in either event, the steward then goes after the brothers and pulls them over on the side of the road and says, hey, one of you guys stole my master's cup. It's the cup that he drinks out of, that he uses, which one of you has it? And so the brothers then look at him and goes, none of us have it, we didn't take it. If anybody did take it, let that person be put to death because they're so confident that they don't have it. So they put their bags down, they open them all up, and lo and behold, the cup is actually found in Benjamin's sack. And so because of this, all of the brothers tear their clothes in anguish because they realize what it means that they had just promised, hey, whoever has the cup, let him be put to death. Well, if Benjamin is the one that's going to be put to death, they realize already, that that is their father's favorite son. If Benjamin is put to death, their father already promised that if anything happens to Benjamin, I'm gonna die because that that would just be too much grief for me to handle. So they tear their clothes in anguish because they know that this is just the worst possible scenario, basically. So they go back with the steward and they go and once again, meet with Joseph. And so here we have a very interesting story We have Judah, who, again, we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Judah was one of the ones who actually offered to take Benjamin and said that he would be personally responsible for Benjamin if anything happened to him. Right. And Judah's offer of personal responsibility was accepted over and against Reuben's offer of personal responsibility, which was an interesting aside that we had mentioned. Now we have Judah, who has taken personal responsibility for Benjamin, actually going and beseeching Joseph, saying, hey, instead of taking Benjamin and killing him or making him your servant, take me instead. Take me as your servant and let the boy go. The reason for this is that our father is old. He already said that, you know, if anything happens to Benjamin, that he's going to die. So instead of having all of that happen, take me, let Benjamin go back to our father and let me be uh, your servant. And this, Corey and I were talking uh, at the beginning of the episode, seems fairly significant. So we've already seen a number of asides where Judah is kind of brought into the story kind of abruptly and does some pretty solid stuff. So... At the very beginning of the whole Joseph narrative, when Joseph is actually being sold into slavery, there's actually two brothers that are not in favor of killing him outright. So you have Reuben who says, hey, toss him in the cistern over there, planning to come back and grab him later. Okay, that's amicable. And then we also have Judah saying, hey, don't kill him. Let's just sell him to those Ishmaelites. Maybe less amicable, but still nonetheless, he doesn't want to kill him. Uh, And then we have the whole story where Uh, like Corey said in the recap, Judah and Tamar. Judah actually recognizes Tamar as more righteous than he and actually has two sons by her. And so now all of a sudden Judah's brought back up.
1: Yeah, well, one thing to add before that as well is the last thing we heard of Reuben before all this is that he slept with one of his father's maidservants, right? So he is... Not in good standing with his father because his father knows of it. yet hasn't said anything to him yet. He won't say anything to him until um, his blessings to his sons at the end of the book of Genesis. Um, But yeah, so Judah's character is being highlighted here. It's being highlighted for a specific reason that will really come out as we see the blessings that Jacob gives to his sons. Where Judah... Is not going to be the guy, but the guy who p- passes on the blessing, right? The The blessing of Messiah. And so right now we're making a case of, wow, Judah is actually a good guy. And there, there's something more to him than just being a character who is an adulterer or something more than just being a an agent to the story that you know, protects Benjamin's life or protects Joseph's life earlier in the last podcast. Yeah, so we should really be kind of cluing in of to why the author is highlighting Judah. And I gave you a little spoiler, um, but we'll continue to see that big reason as we get into those blessings next week. Um, But yeah, so in all of this, um, this pleading of Judah Before the presence of Joseph, the chapter ends. The chapter ends with this thought of, okay, take me instead because I can't go back to my father if the boy is not with me. The boy being Benjamin. I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And that word evil is raw, the same word for the tree of knowledge of good and bad. I fear to see the bad that would find my father. And so to all of this, Joseph does not know how to handle himself. So starting in verse 45, we're just going to read um, this section because it's pretty significant. 45 verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he whelped aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. All right, so really big section here of... um, we get to understand the reason for all this happening. Like Joseph and this story between him and his brothers, this big fight, this story in the land of Egypt, wasn't just a controversy between the blessed line, it's to show something about God. And God used the dysfunction of the family of the blessed line to do something great. And he says that the purpose was looking uh, at verses like 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, God sent me here to preserve for you a remnant. That's awesome. God is working before the stupidity of his brothers and their hostility towards Joseph to preserve their lines, to preserve the line of his Messiah. Because just as God promised and blessed Abraham with that, he couldn't do anything to get rid of this blessing. It wouldn't even take his great-grandsons fighting each other and trying to kill each other, selling one another into slavery. That cannot stop God's blessing. So really significant here. um, We get to see a why, a why to us, why God did something, which anytime we get something like that, it's really significant because God does not always show the reasons for what he does and the intentions he has behind it. I think you definitely
0: covered the majority of what I was hoping we would. Um it is really interesting in kind of looking back at the hyperlinks that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. This really seems to bring legitimacy to the brothers traveling to Egypt where Jacob's saying God has actually orchestrated these events such that this would actually take place. And so In looking back at the hyperlinks that Corey talked about, where we actually have seen a similar story before, Isaac, in a lot of ways, really does seem to represent the ideal circumstance. So Isaac's life really seems to be positive in a lot of ways. And one way that it was seemingly positive was when there was a famine and he was going to go down to Egypt but didn't. That seemed proper and Good. And so, like we said, we need to ask the question, should they have gone to Egypt? And it seems like, yes, they they probably should have. And also going all the way back to Abraham, this seems to be the beginning to uh, a promise that was actually given to Abraham himself, namely that his descendants were going to be sojourners in a foreign land. Could this be the beginning of that? Well, if you know your Bible, you'll probably go, yeah, it probably is. And we'll get to that in next week's episode. But let's go ahead and keep those things in the back of our head as we move forward. But so far, it does seem that this is a positive thing that they're in Egypt, at least for now. And so moving then through 45, after Joseph reveals himself, he says, "Okay, I am Joseph and all of his brothers start weeping with him and Pharaoh gets wind of it. And like Corey already made mention to Earlier on, when the brothers were eating with Joseph, it mentions that it's an abomination for the Hebrews to eat with the Egyptians. And it's kind of a little aside. But instead of Pharaoh being disgruntled or unhappy with the fact that, oh, Joseph's a Hebrew, Pharaoh actually embraces this fact and says, actually, all of you guys should come to Egypt. You guys should cruise here. As a matter of fact, We're going to give you the best of what Egypt has to offer. We're going to give you the land of Goshen to hang in and go get your father. Bring him down here. All of you guys are welcome in Egypt. You guys should all stay in Egypt. You should hang with us because Joseph is the dude. We love Joseph. We want his family here. And it kind of leaves it at that. And so they actually give a bunch of rations and preparations and things for the brothers to go back and get Jacob and bring him to Egypt as well so that everybody can be cruising in Egypt. That's why we call this episode Straight Out of Canaan. So, like we said at the beginning of 45, it seems positive that they're in Egypt. But if the previous episodes are any indication, it doesn't seem like leaving Canaan is ever a good idea. And so now we have Jacob coming out of Canaan to Egypt, And so we definitely have to have that question in the back of our mind. God does seem to be orchestrating this, but is this good?
1: Yeah, that is the question. Is this right? So we have a partial answer revealed in Joseph's dialogue. Um, Now let's go down to 46 and we'll see more of that question being revealed. And I'm just going to read the first four verses of chapter 46 again because they're significant. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So really significant. Should he go down? Should he not? God says you should go down, in very much the same way that God appeared to Isaac during the famine of his day, saying, "Do not go down to Egypt." Here we have go down to Egypt, right? And so Jacob is stoked at this news. Um, we left off um, in chapter forty-five. The last verse of it is him saying, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So after lots of convincing, he says, okay, to see Joseph is good enough for me. Um, And so God gives him favor and says, Joseph, the son who is your favorite, who you think you have lost, his hand is going to be the one that closes your eyes as you pass from this life, which is this. Um, the greatest blessing he can think of, right? And so the story's interrupted um, by another genealogy of Jacob. So we've seen genealogies of Jacob before, and it goes into um, the sons that we know, the sons that his sons have. So we're seeing um, his grandchildren. And that goes down from uh, verse 8 through verse 25. And significant out of all this people traveling with him. So after it it gives, you know, the the sons of his sons, it will number those people from that son of his. Um, Verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons and wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Um, So 70 is actually a significant number. Um, So it's going to be a marker of how many people belong to Israel as they go into Egypt. And this is the number we're going to compare to uh, essentially the rest of the Bible. Okay, how prosperous is Israel? Or another way of asking that question is, how much has God blessed them from that time of going into Egypt? And so we're in Exodus, and they're coming out of Egypt. It's going to be significant when God counts or numbers those people in numbers. Okay, The beginning of the book of Numbers is directly correlated to this number 70. And we're going to see lots of biblical authors look back at this 70. Okay, and so um, after that, the last paragraph of the chapter, we see Jacob reunited with his son Joseph. And when they see each other, they weep on each other's necks. And Israel says, all right, I can die now. I've seen your face, and I'm still alive. He doesn't die for another long while. Um, But at the end of this chapter... We're going to have another interesting point, this going back to the Hebrews' relations with the Egyptians. Um, So once Joseph's brothers come back with their father and all of their family, they have this land settlement to take up with Pharaoh. And so Joseph tells the brothers, all right, guys, when you go and see Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh that your occupations are shepherds. That way, you will live in the land of Goshen. But interesting enough, Joseph adds in, um, "For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." Right? So are they like being taken out of the main city and put into some side wilderness of Goshen, which is their desire anyway? So it's we're not totally sure on that, but something to keep in mind here is that shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Um, So is eating with Hebrews. So this passage at the end of chapter 46, along with um, the story from earlier, we have a bit of a foreshadow of tensions between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. So right now we're going to see that things are going to be all good because of Joseph's sake. So Pharaoh and Egypt will be kind to Israel and his sons For the sake of Joseph and all that he has done. But that might all just change. Well, if you know the story, then it will all change once Joseph is gone. And once the Pharaoh who knew about the goodness of Joseph is gone. Right? Okay. So we've made it here. We're going to get into the last chapter that we're going to go through today. Chapter 47. Joseph went in and told Pharaoh that his father, his brothers are here and they're now in the land of Goshen. And so we have the exact interaction of what Joseph warned them about where Pharaoh asks of their occupation and they are to tell Pharaoh, hey, we're uh, shepherds. And so Pharaoh says, all right, go and let them settle in, you know, the best of the lands that we have. He says something actually that uh we see as a hyperlink between um Lot and Abraham and even before that we have between uh God and Abraham um where in verse 6 he says the land of Egypt is before you so settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land so as Lot and Abraham are about to separate Abraham says Lot choose the land that's before you whatever you want and so luckily he chooses the land that wasn't favorable. And then at another point when, um, Abraham's walking with God, God takes him up and says, Hey, look at all this land that's before you. This is going to be yours. And so we have another moment like that, except this time it's between Pharaoh and Joseph. And now we have Joseph bringing in Jacob and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now something interesting about, um, blessings, at least what the author of Hebrew brings up about blessings, is that usually the greater blesses the inferior, you can say. Uh, But it's really interesting that Pharaoh, who is basically king over all of the lands in that area because nobody has anything, everyone's coming to the land of Egypt. That means everyone's dependent on Pharaoh. Um, We see Jacob is significant spiritually, where he has a blessing upon Pharaoh. Although God is blessing Pharaoh, it's only on account of Jacob via his son, Joseph. But Pharaoh says to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and raw or bad or translation say evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Yeah, so really interesting self-explanation of his life. What happens next is we, we have a, a look back into Joseph's role in Egypt. So he's done being the son of Jacob for a moment and the brother of Brothers, it still says there's no food in all the land. This is verse 13 of chapter 47. And so all the Egyptians and people around the land come to him and say, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is all gone. So Joseph, being wise and shrewd as he is in business, says, All right, well, give your livestock, and I'll give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money's gone. So Joseph does that, and the people are glad to do that, to stay alive. But when that year ended, they came to him the following year saying, all right, we have no more money. Um, Our herds and our livestock is yours. We have nothing left except for our bodies and our lands. And so why should we die before you, both we and our land? Um, And so they offer, saying, buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So that's exactly what Joseph does. Um, Joseph buys all the land for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them, and all of the land became Pharaoh's. Right? And uh, as for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Joseph says to all the people, all right, this day I've bought you and your lands, and so now here's seed for you. Um, And so since I'm giving you this seed and since the land you're living on is Pharaoh's land, any time you have a harvest from this seed I'm giving you, you're going to give a fifth of it Back to Pharaoh, so you're gonna keep the four fifths for yourself, but every year, every harvest, you're gonna give it back to him. And they're stoked to do it. Verse twenty-five: You have saved our lives. May it please my lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So they they see this as a really great and kind thing that Joseph is keeping them alive, right? Right. And so we're gonna see, you know, Pharaoh has a bunch of power in Egypt, as we're gonna see in the next book. Um, but also, really significant is the way in which the land is set up and the way in which it talks about people being sold and their land being sold. Um, it's something that can happen in harsh circumstances. And God, in his Torah, the next four books, um, we're going to see laws that apply to each of these things. Um, so, in God's Torah, he says, if any of you have sold, your land and sold yourself as servants to another, there is going to be a year of jubilee, a year where all debts are canceled, and every slave is made free, and every piece of land is returned back to its original owner. So that way, the rich can't stay filthy, stinking rich, while the poor stay filthy, stinking poor, right? And we even have things about the priests here in Egypt, Right? They're probably their own priests serving their own gods, but we'll see God give rules and regulations about his priests who do not have a land portion of their own, but who have something worked out in every tribe that they are scattered in. So interesting, it uses some of the same language that God uses in his instructions, but yet totally different. So this is going to Make for a really powerful ruler um, and really poor people. But we're seeing God and his foreknowledge going to be really kind and compassionate to his people so that something like this will not happen for his people. At least it will not happen forever. So that's something to look forward to as we get to those individual laws. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful. And multiplied greatly just as God had blessed humans in the beginning as he created humans and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years so the days of Jacob the years of his life were 147 years Um, and when the time drew near that Israel must die he called his son Joseph and said to him now I have found favor in your sight put your hand under my thigh And promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his, some translations say bed, some translations say staff. But yeah, so we have the idea that he's close to death. We have a little, you know, recapture of his life, but yet Jacob's still in the story. So as far as the story is concerned, Jacob is not dead. But the important thing is that Jacob, although he lives a long life, his father, and his father's father, his grandpa Abraham, they didn't live uh, much longer than him. He lived a long life, but yet the way in which he describes it is short and evil. Right? At least that's the way he described it to Pharaoh in the previous chapter. Um, but also significant is, you know, they make a covenant, putting a hand under the thigh. And um, the promise there is that do not bury me in Egypt, take me back to the promised land. And so um, there are still sights set on returning to the promised land when this is all over. And so... Joseph promises to carry it out, whether it's going to be him or someone else, they're going to make sure that the significant bodies of the patriarchs um, all are being buried in the same land because this is really important to them. And it's really important to the story. So um, we're ending in a place not in the promised land, but we have our scope set to get back to the promised land. Um, Anything else, Dylan, as far as um, leaving off on this story? So
0: all the way back at the very beginning, we talked about Genesis 3.15, where there is going to be one who is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And this one is going to be from the seed of the woman. And so we've been tracing that seed all the way through Genesis. And so consistently we've been asking the question, is this character the guy of Jacob? Uh, one such character that we have at one time briefly considered is maybe the guy, and answered real quickly, is definitely not. But Jacob was the one who had, at, up until this point, propagated the blessing. And so the blessing that started all the way back in Genesis 3.15 and has been you know, passed through the generations kind of restated to Abraham where there was a covenant made with Abraham that through his offspring, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. So from that point then on, we were waiting for a son, got Isaac. Isaac wasn't the guy and Jacob and Jacob wasn't the guy and Joseph and is Joseph a guy? We'll have to find out. Um, But we've been following the capital T Blessing through all of this. And so we leave off in a death of yet another patriarch, another one of uh, the ones in the line of the blessing. And, and that's where we're going to end for the day. So it's a bit of a sad note. And so for today, we're going to go ahead and end in chapter 47. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we are going through and giving big macroscopic themes. Uh, that is, we're kind of zooming out and we're looking at the Bible from a thousand feet rather than zooming in and looking at it like through a microscope. And in doing that, we're hoping that you guys are able to actually see the story unfold before your eyes as we talk about it. Because that is actually what the authors were intent when they wrote not just Genesis, but the entirety of the scriptures. They're basically bringing a story alive before your eyes and bringing you into that storied world or the narrative world as we called it in episode one. So keep that in mind as we go through it. We're gonna go ahead and end and go through the usual ending. If you guys have any questions about that process, that method, reading the Bible as a story or anything else, feel free to ask us. We have an email address, scripturechronicles at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you guys if you do have questions. Corey loves to chat. I know that for a fact, so definitely feel free to ask him how he got so beautiful. Also, if uh, if you want to stay up to date with the most real-time information, the best two places to do that are the Facebook page, Scripture Chronicles, as well as the website, thebibleisastory.com. On the website, you can access the podcast itself. You can also access the blog, and you can also donate if you feel so inclined. If you do enjoy the show, Helping out the show is a good way to make sure that other people can be blessed by it. To do that financially, you can pray for the show, leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And then also just tell your friends. Share it on Facebook or social media or whatever else. And that all helps out the show because it gets into the hands of more people. So if this has helped you kind of understand not just Genesis, but a new way uh, to read the scriptures And actually understand the story of the scriptures. Help other people do that as well by sharing it. Uh, Other than that, I think that that is all that I got. Corey, any anything else before we wrap up? This is your last opportunity.
1: Absolutely nothing else. I think we're good. Sweet. In
0: that case, guys, as usual, shalom, Shalom adios. adios. All right, bye, guys.